0: Yeah, yeah, what it do? What's going on, everybody in Internet Land? This is your man Kyle Means, rocking with my guys, Gave on the wing, and in the low posts, Big Steven. You got a a run of running with War broadcast coming with you here, giving the giving you a. The best, you know, some of the best uh, basketball cutting, uh, you know, cutting takes, not necessarily hot takes. Sometimes we get a little sizzling, but, uh, you know, we try to keep it real. We don't necessarily, you know, uh, try to, you know, give you some give you some fake overblown stuff. We give you the real and uh, definitely give you, uh, you know, the best in all the world of basketball, women's basketball, college you know, high school, whatever we touch, whatever we can touch upon, we do it. And uh, we definitely going to get into a little bit of uh, of summer basketball as well with a special guest that's coming on at the bottom of the hour, Law Murray. Uh, you may know the name if uh, you read up on the Clippers for The Athletic. Mr. Murray is the beat writer mm-hmm. for those Clippers for, uh, for The Athletic, but he also came up reporting and covering the Drew League out in LA. And uh, he wrote a big uh feature uh, last week for The Athletic on the Drew League and how it's changing and evolving uh over time, you know, already one of the most famous and uh you know uh you know historic uh, summer runs in the country. Uh you know really a, a great time it looks like out there in LA. But uh you know, we're going to get, you know, get into that world a little bit with him as well as talk about those Clippers and, uh, you know, what we can expect from them in this offseason and going forward into next season. You know, definitely one of the more notable teams in the NBA, regardless of what they're doing. But uh, we're also, of course, going to speak about these finals that's going on, man. Uh, the, we're, we're reaching the climax or the denouement as they say in france uh you know the uh, the final games of the season the most important games of the season down to possibly one more game maybe two though depending on how you predicted it, it may be looking uh, maybe rooting for one uh you know one uh, way or the other coming up on thursday here with game 6 i had the Warriors going in six. So, you know, I'm pretty I'm pretty fine either way. You know, I think if if, you know, I, I like being right, of course. But <laughs> but if I'm wrong, I'm no mind that as well, because this has been a great series. It <clears throat> really, you know, anybody who's who's looked at this series, I don't think will we, we'll mind it going to seven. But you, you guys want to jump in already. I want, uh, you know, uh, we, we had the, like I said, we had the game five. We're going to get into some some game five, uh, you know, uh, recapping and, and breakdown here before we get long. But uh like I said, we're going to continue it with him as well. But you guys, uh, you know, yeah, that's, that's as good a place to start as any. You know, what do you guys think about uh, Monday's game? Uh, you know, of course, Boston. You know, made a made a nice run in that third quarter. Really, sort of the opposite of what they've done in their most in, uh, in their in their two wins so far in this series. You know, really, they uh. uh we got something here with Gabe. Maybe switching his outlook here. I think. Let's get a let's get Gabe on uh, looking a little better here with this one. Okay, mm-hmm. Gabe. I'm here. All right. Uh, yeah. Looks a little better there. Well, uh, yeah, I was just setting up the, uh, you know, you guys for your takes on game five. Of course, Boston had, uh, you know, it was kind of a slow start. for Definitely a slow start for them. Slow start. That really wasn't that quick of a start for Golden State either. They ended up getting ahead, but they let Boston, Boston took back the game in the third. Uh, really a reversal of some of what they've done in their most successful games, this series where, you know, they, you know, in games one and three, they both, you know, in both of those games, they had terrible game, uh, terrible third quarters, I should say, but great fourth quarters. This time around, they have a great third quarter enough to get them back in the game. But, uh, you know, that, that big shot from Poole, that a half court shot at the end of the third seemed to really mark a turning point and you know Boston just couldn't get themselves back up in the fourth quarter, a lot of bad shooting, a lot of, you know, turnovers really across the, the, the entire game. You know, there's some other stuff too. I'm a, I'm a sort of, I'm a, I'm a sort of set it up in another way, as far as uh, what was legitimate and what was illegitimate maybe in the game. Uh, but, uh, you know, some controversy is uh, basically is what I'm getting into there. But, you know, just starting off with off with you guys' opinions on the game Monday and how it went down, you know, what do you think this game you – No, know, it's the all-important Game 5, as, as we always uh, recognize in, in the playoffs. You know, what were your thoughts on how this played out and do you think that it's led us to another – you know, essentially to the Warriors uh, being crowned again, or, you know, is there more to be heard from with Boston?
1: You got it, Steven. Well, I feel like once it became a best of three, which is pretty much what I expected it would get to after game four, uh, once it became a best of three, I felt even more confident in my uh, initial prediction of Golden State in seven. Just because for the simple fact that I felt like they had a little bit too much as far as as far as being able to dictate things on both ends of the floor, whether it's the sets and where they're getting their shots from and who who's getting what shots within their offense or if it was what they're doing defensively as far as having multiple lineups with um, versatile front court pieces independent of uh, Kevon Looney. Uh, things that they could do with their small ball lineups to, to dictate the pace and flow of things and really the flow that Boston's action can get into um, offensively. So I just felt like in general, uh, just kind of keeping this part quick, uh, that Golden State was primed to primed to put their stamp on things, and they executed that and then some, both at home to start the series and even more so on the road before coming back home again five to put another stamp on things.
0: Gabe, what, what are your thoughts, man? I know you had, a, a, you know, some issues with, a, you know, some of the, the refereeing, you know, following you while uh, watching the game. But, uh, you know, do you, do you think, you know, I'm, like, I'm going to bring the, the legit and illegitimate to you. You know, what do you think was a legitimate issue? And no, no, no. What do you think was legitimate about Golden State's win? And what do you think was illegitimate about Boston's, Boston? Boston uh, losing. Well,
2: I, I'm I'm not taking away any credit from Golden State when I talk about officiating. Um, I thought it, it went both sides. I thought the officiating should have been better on both sides. I've never been um, adamant on Tony Brothers as an official. I put that out on the record. Um, Tony Brothers and, and Scott Foster are the two worst officials in the league to me. Uh, you know, like with Brothers. What he did in the fourth quarter, I felt like was unacceptable. You know, granted, I know Marcus Smart is a award winning flopper in this league. Even though he's a defensive player of the year, we, we all know that. But when Clay pushed off, and it was an obvious push-off in, in route to that three-point shot that he hit, for, for him to, um, to let that go on call, I had an issue with it, especially when his elbow was extended. Um, even though you can say Marcus flopped, I mean, I, I had a serious issue with that. And then I also had an issue with the call that he called on Marcus when um, Jordan Poole flopped. and he called, But he calls that a, um, an offensive foul, a charge. I, I, I felt that to be ridiculous. But, so, but all, with all that said, I feel like Golden State's win was legitimate. Um, make no doubt about it. That was the best defensive effort that they gave last night um, throughout the entire series. I think they did a great job of taking away the paint um, from Boston. When they were seeking to get into the driving lanes. However, one thing that has stood out to me throughout this entire series and throughout this entire playoffs with Boston is I've never seen a championship contender in my life um, have so much greatness that they exhibit on a defensive end that would make you think that, hey, this team should be the favorite in the series, yet they give up so many opportunities. Golden mm. State has scored 103 points. Through five games off of turnovers, that is the most points through the first five games of a final since the nineteen ninety two Bulls scored one hundred and eleven points off of turnovers against Great the Portland Blazers, according to the Elias Sports Bureau, which
0: is courtesy yeah.
2: of the Stats and Info. That's got to stop.
0: The, the ninety one, yeah, ninety one team and the ninety two team were the yeah. top, are the top two exactly who've done that. And uh, no, just not to interrupt you, but. You know we know famously who followed those teams they those were the doberman teams those were yeah that was scotty and mike leading pass playing passing lanes leap you know disrupting you know scotty garden magic famously in 91 you know jordan you know matching up with uh Clyde in 92. those were f- infamous defensive teams and you know, for Golden State to be put in that same realm by their play, it's you know they've done a lot. They've they've made the effort definitely. But I think as well, like you say, Boston has led them off the hook too many times. And you know, I you know I, again, I don't like I say not pat myself on the back, but I sort of you know that was part of my prediction on a, you know you could read on on our uh, Substack. You know, we all predict made our predictions before the series. <laughs> And I thought that Boston, just looking at the way that they played at certain points against Milwaukee and Miami, just too inconsistent. And uh, you know, you know, regardless of what they're shooting, they still seem to kick themselves in the butt when it comes to ball handling and you know, uh, you know, bad shot selection. And, you know, it is is it just seems like they're not there yet in regards to you know, especially going against a, a crafty team that really never loses his head in the Golden State. Well, and that and then too,
2: you know, just a it, it was a, a couple of key points when I felt like the game shifted, and it, it was before Jordan Poole hit that shot. You know, at the at the end of the third quarter to give Golden sure. State a one point lead from beyond art. It was when Clay Thompson hit a three pointer to cut a five point Boston lead to two, and then. Boston got it back to four. And then Clay hit another three to cut the lead to within one. I feel like those three, those two three-point shots that Clay Thompson hit in the latter portion of the third quarter. I know the first one came with about like, I want to say three and a half minutes left. And then the second one came with about two and a half minutes left. It both came within a minute of one another in regulation of that third quarter. I felt like those threes helped. Those were big-time shots that helped calm Golden State down a little bit when they were really, really struggling offensively and searching to find something. And, and those shots I felt like gave the Warriors a chance to say, you know what, we got them what we want them. We get a couple things that go our way. We're going to be fine and we're going to get back in this game. I think what we're seeing in these finals is a matchup of youth and inexperience versus a team with championship-laden pedigree that's been there, done that. But with all of that said, I still feel like Boston has a chance. The only question is is whether or not they're going to do the simple things to not beat themselves. Are you going to take care of the basketball? If you're Jason Tatum and you're Jalen Brown, especially Jalen Brown, are you going to stop attacking Draymond Green in isolation situations? And you're going to say, you know what, let me take the more favorable matchup and where we're going to seek to hunt down Stephen Curry. Let's make him work just as much defensively as he is offensively generating looks for himself from beyond the heart. You do that, then you have a chance. When when I look at the game stats, they out-rebounded the Warriors by eight. Stephen Curry was 0 for 9 for 3.
0: Yeah.
2: If you'd have told me those two things were going to be true prior to the game, I'd have thought Boston would have won by plus 10 or 12 points. But they left points on the line. You lose by 10, right, but you shoot 31 or 41 from the free-throw line. You make more free throws, you might have a chance late in regulation in spite of the turnovers you committed. 18 turnovers, 22 points off of the turnovers courtesy of the Warriors. I just felt like they were they were um, exceptional last night. And, and shout-out to Andrew Wiggins as well for stepping up. Um, yeah, we're getting
0: it. that uh, um, you-
2: wasn't able to bring last night.
0: Right, you know, like I say you mentioned in what what Boston didn't do. They didn't get to the line enough, and they didn't shoot well enough when they did. When they got there, they shot bad from three. I think you know they sort of negated some of the size advantage that they do have. Like said, they say they out rebounded them, but I thought that Golden State played again. They played more aggressively, and they didn't seem as small compared to Boston last night when you look at the way that mooney that uh, looney played that uh that Wiggins played that uh that draymond played they they just kept the they kept things aggressive in the way that Boston just didn't answer in, in the right way when you know uh like I say Wiggins Wiggins whole game was uh, was you know just incredible and uh you know Steven I let you get into that man. You know, what did you think about the way that he stepped up and, you know, as opposed, you know, in regards to – in lieu of, I guess we should say, of what Stefan wasn't able to do, you know, him not being able to make threes. You know, he was still doing a lot of playmaking out there, but he wasn't the same guy who we've, who we've seen throughout the first four games of the series. But Wiggins really just put himself in another stratosphere with his performance and uh, really revealed a lot of himself to the, to the whole nation uh, in, in uh, last night's game. Well,
1: <clears throat> you guys kind of circled around the point with Andrew and talking about all of the different issues that Boston had with the offense last night. I don't feel like it's it's completely their fault, per se. Uh, it's what they did or didn't do, and it's a lot more of what Golden State did again and dictating things. Um, Boston kind of fell into a cycle of finding ways to attack Golden State's running defense because Golden State was giving them similar looks and a pattern of looks over and over again to the point where, okay, Boston's like, okay, so I know when they do X, we're going to do Y. And when they do Y, we're going to do Z. Well, X, Y, and Z from Golden State turned into like an A, B, C, and an F, and a G. And it was all intertwined in like a blend of sorts. And that kept the Celtics' offense – at bay it took a lot of shots that they didn't necessarily want from players that they didn't necessarily want taking those shots at times in the shot clock that they didn't want their offense to be taking shots from so that in turn led to a lot of stagnation in their flow and just a lack of rhythm for the most part outside of that second quarter run that they made and outside of that end of the third quarter run that they made going to stay did a great job knowing that a they're gonna that boss is gonna be going after steph curry every chance they get so what we're gonna do is Today, we're going to start off this game, we're just going to play them straight up. We're not going to switch. We're just yep. going to play them straight up. We're not going to show and recover with stuff. We're not going to scram him out of things. We're not going to try to kick him out of action. We're going to just go straight up, first of all. They did that initially. That led to a lot of, hmm, question mark um, type dribbling and um, bleeding of the shot clock from the Celtics. Then go to state, started blending in and showing recovery with stuff whenever they tried to target him in action. Then they started blending in their switches. Then they started blending in... Um, the drops and having guys switch off the ball and kick stuff out of actions and scram switch them out of actions, and it yeah. all came in a blow in a in a blend in a flow, to where they were able to dictate when when Boston was taking shots. They weren't able to get the stuff as, as exclusively and as easily as they did in their wins, and that in turn just led to like a ball movement that also was was. Um, was exacerbated by live ball turnovers from the Celtics. The one thing you can't do, and we all know you can't do it against Golden State, whether you're at on the road, but especially at home, turn the ball over with live ball turnovers. Um, mm-hmm. They had, I think, nine nine of their eighteen or however many turnovers it was, nine of them were live ball turnovers. And I'm pretty sure Golden State scored on all but like two of those. So yep. you know, if you're looking at the math, adding to that, on top of that, the shot the shot selection or lack of rug from the Celtics you start seeing all these little tree leaves and things that you can't do if you're trying to even have a puncher's chance in the end against the Warriors. And with the point being with Andrew Wiggins, he's one of the three main reasons why the Warriors have been able to get into the driver's seat of this series and really start dictating things because his on-ball defense and just his overall attention to detail on the ball and off the ball is just – It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. And when people were making all of the jokes and memes about him being an all-star, which I don't agree, I agree that he shouldn't have been an all-star, but his defense is all world. And we're starting to see it now when the, when the Warriors need it most, it's been him in tandem with Klay Thompson, who's refound his groove defensively. And of course with Gary Payton too, and Draymond Green doing what they do best. It's been like that for some of the guys that have been taking things over defensively and blowing up the Celtics actions, um, just really just being physical to the, to the legal limit in terms of not drawing too many fouls against them, um, just doing a great job defensively taking those guys out of their rhythm and really covering for Steph, which Steph's been playing good defense individually himself, but just the fact that everybody's been so connected around him to the point where the Celtics are guessing what they want to do on offense, that's leading to what we're seeing now, which is Golden State taking the command and series lead with a chance to close out in game six. And the add the point, Yeah, and to add to your point, Steven, not
2: only has he been exceptional defensively, but he's been amazing on the glass, you know, hauling down big time rebounds. And he's also Mm -hmm. been active off the ball offensively as a cutter, which is Mm -hmm. huge, especially when you consider Draymond's struggles and his inabilities, you know, to get going through the first four games. He had a a nice showing, you know, in the first half last night prior to getting some foul issues, but Draymond was doing the exact opposite not moving off the ball, staying, you know, stationary. Wiggins has been huge um all year long. And I, I, I'm not going to say that he didn't deserve to be an all-star. I don't think he deserved to be a starter, but he definitely did deserve to be an all-star in my opinion because he was showing that in that role, albeit as a third option, he was contributing to a winning team. And, you know, they typically reward
1: guys for that. Yeah. And something, yeah. something else he's been doing is – uh um, a real quick, just a real quick point, Kyle – uh, go ahead, go ahead. Andrew Wiggins Wiggins has been doing something that no team that the that the um that the Celtics have won against these playoffs has been able to do and that's expose Al Horford in certain moments to the point where the Celtics have had to start switching up their defense. Everybody knows the discourse around Al Horford and the Celtics is that they run a lot of drop coverage pick and pick and roll. Mm-hmm. Um yes, they do that, but at the same time when you have somebody that can attack him in other ways, whether it's pick and roll or not. And that's what Andrew Wiggins has been doing. He's been turning Al Horford into a pressure point, which is something that no other team in the playoffs has been able to do so far. So credit to him for that. That's a big, the big dynamic in the series. Yeah. Yeah,
0: definitely, definitely. We got Law Murray standing by, running with war here. And that uh, before, we bring on Law. Just uh, I'm gonna bring up that uh, statistic, or I guess the 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 statistic. Uh, package that uh, Wiggins provided last night. Uh, According to CBS Sports on Twitter, they uh, said Wiggins, the first player since Kawhi Leonard in 2019 and only the fifth player since Elvin Hayes in 1978 to have 25 points, 12 rebounds, and no turnovers in a finals game. So that's covering 45 years. That's a crazy, crazy stat uh, there, uh, 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 you know, uh, you know, just thinking about the way that he affected the game and, and the efficiency that's there. You know, the zero turnovers I think is 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 very key. And it's it's interesting too. I think uh, you know we were talking about it in our our group in a uh, little group in Twitter uh, last night. Um, Chris was mentioned may mention this, and I noticed it too. Like you have in those early those early accounts. You know, you talking about big guys, you got Elvin, Elvin Hayes, you got Shaq in 2000 and Kevin Garnett in 2008, you know, big guys who not necessarily going to be dribbling around a lot and putting themselves in a position to turn over the ball, you know, but the last two times, you know, with Kawhi and with Wiggins, you've got playmakers, you got on ball playmakers who are doing this as well so it just shows, again, the versatility of, and the involvement of these players today and the way that they can play both inside and out. You know, it's really impressive that you get that. And, you know, in the case of, of Kawhi, you know, he was such a, such a, a powerful uh, force in that, that 19 finals. Of course, led Toronto to that win uh, over Golden State. Now Golden State gets the benefit from uh, that sort of play as well, and uh, you know putting themselves in the position to possibly knock off Boston. And we're going to uh, talk a little, talk a bit about you know what we can expect in Game Six Thursday in Boston, uh, as well as uh, you know just uh, some other stuff with our guest tonight, Law Murray from the Athletic. I hope he's on, available to us all right what's getting on what's happening brother
3: what's going on i got i'm I'm on screen with chicago that's pretty damn cool so so. hopefully
0: it's pretty pretty cool to be on with you man
3: hey man i got i got love for chicago man my y'all y'all, i take care of my little brother he's 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 there uh working at northwestern so uh, okay finally got to finally got to visit during the nba season uh, on purpose, the uh, first time I ever went to Chicago was, in, was by accident, had a little layover there. Uh, so, um, you know, it's great to chop it up with you guys tonight.
0: Where, where did you lay over, O'Hare or Midway?
3: Uh, shoot, man. The air I, I don't remember the difference between the airports. I've uh, <laughs> only been there twice. I was going to say the one with all the neon lights and the and and oh, what was it? the blue line yeah, that's that connects to it. Yeah. yeah, the yeah. one that. I'm yeah, yeah. I will yeah. say I don't want to be late trying to catch a flight at at, at that airport, man. No, you don't. Not at all.
2: And you don't
0: you don't want to be late, you know, coming from the city because you're not technically in the city when you're at over here. Yeah. So right. that's. That's like, I guess that's for, I guess it's LAX for y'all out there. Like, oh,
3: LA, I'm not, we're not gonna say anything nice about LAX. You know? <laughs> um, look, like I said, y'all have a whole dedicated subway that stops there. And I mean, I'm from Philadelphia to begin with. So, like, um, you know, my parents live around the airport. Like, that's convenient. There's nothing convenient about LAX. Okay, like the only way you have those two terms in the same statement is to discuss inconvenience. So, you know, yeah. like I said, Chicago does it. Chicago does it right. Um, from my from my perspective, I've only been there a couple times. Well, you know, I will always reserve the right to revisit this statement, but you know, for right now, we we cool.
0: You got a good reading so far, man. We we appreciate the love, man. You know, if if you if you need any help with your little bro, man, just uh, let us let us know. We can. You know get in contact with him and uh you know hold him down if he ever needs anything but but yeah but law man uh you know what you doing you know with the athletic man you've been doing your thing you know uh you i say you're originally from philly but you went out you went to school out in la right uh
3: well i went to college in western pennsylvania uh school that has changed its name at least once by now so i'm not even gonna get into that it's called california uh pennsylvania but Again, y'all can look that one up. Uh, I, I got my master's from USC okay, um, yeah. a few years after that. So, I mean, I've been in L.A. for this is going to be my 13th summer. Uh, I don't know how I've been here this long either, but I'm blessed. So <laughs> I, I pre- it's worked out. It hasn't always worked out, but it's working out right now. So um, I've been a part of this community for most of my adult life now.
0: It's not a bad place to settle, you know, Uh I would, I would think, you know, but uh, you know, you've, you know, we're gonna talk a little bit later about uh, your coverage of the Drew League and everything out there, but uh, you know, you, you know, you, you, of course, you cover the Clippers, so you cover the league day in and day out. You cover, you know, covering the Clippers, you cover the same division as, you know, one of the teams in the finals now, and of course, being Golden State. Uh, you know just give us some you know if you want to start give us your overall thoughts on how this series has played out and uh you know coming into the series what was your what was your sort of outlook what did you think that uh you know the Warriors were bound to be in a position to win this series or did you think uh you know that Boston had their number possibly
3: well I will preface this by saying when I make any level of predictions, I mean, I ain't no damn weatherman. I am not a meteorologist. It's not my specialty. Mm-hmm. That being said, if I make a pick, I'm not changing it. You know, this ain't the damn stock market or the odds betters and nothing like that. You know what I'm saying? It I'm ain't that serious. Back. But if I say it, if I say it the first time, I'm going to leave it there. And I said Warriors in seven when it started. But I can also say I thought the Celtics would take a 3-2 lead as part of that Warriors in seven and you see what it is right now. So this is a series that I did feel like was going to be extremely competitive, even though the margins of the final scores have all been double digits um, and through five games. I mean, going into game five, the Golden State had one more point than Boston through those first four games. And then obviously you saw... Game five was decided by 10 points, but uh, Boston fell down early, and they showed poise at a time that they hadn't played well through the entire series, the third quarter. And you're thinking, okay, Boston's going to – they're, they're going to steal this game. And then Golden State had a finishing kick that the Celtics did not have. And if you're the Celtics, you're, you're disappointed because the way they played in game four and in game five, uh, they had opportunities to win both of those games, possibly probably not in the series, but at least be leading the series still. Mm-hmm. This is the first time in the NBA finals going into this game six facing elimination that they've trailed at any point of this series against the Warriors. That's significant. And so now with their backs against the wall, we've obviously seen Boston win elimination games already. You know, they were down three 2 already against the Milwaukee Bucks. You saw what happened there. They had to go on the road first and tie that series of force a game seven before they came home for that game seven, hit the most threes you've ever seen a team make in a game seven in NBA history, and then advance to the conference finals. And Against Miami, they had a chance to close things out at home in a game six, and Jimmy Butler had us all going back to the LeBron in 2012, right? And then the Celtics, they survived that game seven in Miami. That was tough because I mean, let's just be real. Like, you got to go on the road, a different situation than the semifinals. Semifinals, they're like, we ain't ducking no smoke. We are in this to host the game seven. They show that they can win a game seven wherever. They've showed that they can win facing elimination wherever. They've already swept a team that in the preseason people thought that, you know, like that were championship favorites in the Brooklyn Nets. They beat the defending champions from last year and they beat the number one seed in the Eastern Conference already this year. This is their biggest challenge, obviously. You know, you, you're you're going home, and that's your only safe haven, but the last time you were there, you decided to take off a bunch of threes in the fourth quarter and you smoked it. So, I feel like the series is going mostly according to how I thought it would. These are the best two defenses in the NBA and it absolutely looks like it because they make basketball look very difficult when you're watching these games. And I'm interested to see what's going to happen in game six. It can go either way, obviously.
0: What's – what's no, what person or element of this series, you know, again, whatever facet of this series has stuck out the most to you, what do you you think has been the difference in the series so far?
3: Yo, this is going to sound crazy because people, you know, got all kinds of stuff to say about this man. But (laughs) I feel like Draymond Green is – the biggest variable in the series for both teams obviously he gets the Celtics hype and in their feelings about certain things and they were attacking him in some games but I really feel like Draymond has been here here's the thing about Draymond that everyone has to pay attention to the Warriors spent the regular season throwing the ball away more than almost every team in the single league that's the biggest reason why if you look at their regular season profile the Golden State Warriors had a what we consider an average offense, 16th in efficiency. They've obviously been way better than that. Part of that is the personnel. Like you didn't see Steph, Dre, and Clay play together in the regular season really for any meaningful stretch. That's really been their entire playoffs, those three guys, in addition to the guys that they've had and Andrew Wiggins, Jordan Poole, et cetera. But Draymond is a guy who, when he's at his worst offensively, you're not worrying about the shooting and scoring with him. They got guys to do that. But Draymond is basically their point guard. The way that he facilitates their offense, his decision-making plays a big role in certain guys getting their shots. We talk all the time about Draymond Green and Stephen Curry having like a telekinesis to them because of how long they played together because they know how to finish each other's sentences in basketball terms. You know what I mean? What's not happening in this finals is that Draymond's not turning the ball over. He's still dropping dimes. He's still finding Curry on back cuts, on handoffs, what have you. He's still able to run his pick and roll. He's still able to get the ball in the short roll, drop it off the loon, what have you. But he's not costing Golden State in terms of turning the ball over. Golden State's offense has been incredibly consistent. Whereas on the other end, Boston's won two games in this series. The first game. Came because they hit a bunch of threes. And Game Three, when they went to Boston for uh, the that part of the series, they went to the paint repeatedly. In the yeah. other three games, and really in even in Game One and Game Three, they didn't play completely clean games. But when they played their best, they've been they've looked better than the Warriors have looked to me as a team at any point in the series. But Boston's turnovers have cost them. They've cost them early, often, and late, and Golden State has not turned the ball over as much. And that was really the biggest key from game five. And I think Draymond has been a big the, – the the biggest part of that.
0: Mm. Uh, it seems a, a lot of the the main, you know, uh, agenda points are, are really right there. You know, we know how these – you know what Boston looks like when they're at their strongest, and we know what they look like when they're at their weakest, you know, essentially – They, like I say, they want to keep better hold of the ball. They want to, you know, they they want to force more effort out of out of Golden State than they did in game. Definitely want a defense defensively than they did in game five. Uh, You know what? I'll I'll give let let all you guys touch on this. What specifically do you think that Boston has to do aside from let his crowd get buck wild and, and nasty? (laughs) <laughs> have a, and, and take advantage of their home court however they can there, you know, on the court specifically, what do you think is going to be the key for Boston to be able to take control of the game of game six and keep it in their hands so that they can force that game set Playing with pace, but
2: at the same time, knowing when to slow down. I think a lot of times with Boston, has allowed Golden State to do too many times, and credit to Golden State's defense, but they've sped them up. And as a result, you see a lot of erratic drives, like you saw last night to the rim that Jalen Brown had when he was being indecisive, not knowing whether or not to pass or kick it out to a shooter or to take it up, you know, driving left or right. Um, I think that's got to change. I think another thing is they got to start going back to Marcus Smart and some post-up action. I think in game three, as you alluded to, Law, they did do a great job in that game of attacking the paint, and they got some scoring chances and opportunities, which paid significant dividends for them. And that was one thing they did do in game three, was they posted Marcus Smarter up more. They also posted them up a couple of times in the second quarter when they had a big-time run. I think they got to go back to that, pick and choose their spots, and most importantly, getting off to a good start and not settling for just any shot. Trying to get the best shot possible against these Golden State defense. I think if they could do that and stay connected defensively and um, you know, not drop as much with Horford and whatnot and time lord and Robert Williams, you know, doing what he does, being an impactful guy inside and out defensively, I think they have a shot.
0: Steve, what about you, man?
1: <clears throat> well, before a lot came on, I talked about how the Warriors have been dictating terms um, more frequently than not this series defensively. I feel like a lot of that comes from indecision stemming into a sustained thing that's coming on possession by possession basis from the Celtics offense. So they need to get back to their identity of generating a little bit of ball movement before getting into, flowing into dribble drives or a post up Mm -hmm. or a a skip pass or a reverse. Um, Again, like I said before, law came on they lost they lost their um, they lost their like paper trail, like their typical aim and target offensively, um, trying to hunt out that mismatch uh, trying to hunt out that matchup with Steph Curry. And as I mentioned with the Warriors, with them switching their coverages with him, keeping them guessing, that's in turn bleeding out the clock so consistently that they're taking shots under the rest. So if they can get back to their plan of attack, get back to what their what their bread and butter is offensively and moving the ball, getting into their uh DHO actions and kicking the ball and reversing it from there, that's gonna generate movement from the Warriors defense, which is then gonna open up the lanes for second drives and third drives and passes the guys who are out of position or uh, who their help their help man is out of position. And that's gonna in turn lead to open looks and it's also gonna allow for their role players to get back into the floor of things, which is another entity that was missing in game five. If they can get their role players back into it, which they typically are as history uh, would suggest at home they can definitely mm-hmm. get themselves that punches chance in the end. but it's not until they the main players get back to dictating things offensively and getting the ball where it needs to be without turning the ball over.
0: Yeah, I am gonna- glad you mentioned that Steve, I was gonna say right quick, you know, there's the expectation of the role players to play better at home, you know, uh, that's sort of a continued storyline in every playoffs, but uh, it, you know. I I don't know, man. I think, do you, law. Do you think that it's going to depend at a winning effort for Boston will depend more on getting you know like Derek White or or Grant Williams or people like that, you know, producing or is it going to be more on the Jays to provide, you know, in particular uh, Tatum to pr- truly provide an efficient effective game where he's you know scoring you know pretty much if not at will but close to it and not having to make so much effort to get those points that he's been getting this series
3: see i was going back up steven's point uh because about the the role players no because the way you the way you uh teed it up though kyle it's like It's the finals, man. You can't be led by role players in the damn finals. You know what I'm saying? Like, Big Shot Bob stuff comes in games four or five, maybe. You face an elimination. Those role players can't save you. You need the starters to set the tone, and you need your stars to define the game. And look, man, I saw Jason Tatum. Take the ball to the to the to the to the bench during the timeout in the fourth quarter, and that's the only time <laughs> my man was strong with the ball the whole game. It seemed like <laughs> like you need to do that to begin the game, you know. And then when guys like Derek White, Grant Williams, Peyton Pritchard come in the game, they need to be decisive. Okay, Derek White has he he went from the the twenty twenties version of Fred Van Vliet, you know having us be inspired by having a kid right before the finals and balling out mm-hmm. and everything to going back into a, a, a shell. And he can't have a game like he had in game five where he doesn't make a single basket. He Even before that, Derek's had some – he's been a bit of a liability because of his decision-making. He's actually shot the three-ball well, but yeah. he shoots the ball like a player who's not used to shooting the ball well. He's got to be decisive. If it's there, shoot the shot. If it's not there, drive with purpose. He hasn't done that. Peyton Pritchard, he got a chance in game five. He belongs in the series. We saw that in game one. The first opening, the opening minutes of that fourth quarter when they were down, he was on the floor with Derrick White. He was part of those guys hitting threes. He belongs. Like Peyton Pritchard can hoop, but he didn't shoot the ball like a dude who could hoop in game five. In the first half, and Eme never went back to him in the second half. He's gonna get another chance, but he's got to come ready. He's his job is to shoot the ball and be decisive with his ability to shoot the ball and space the floor. And my man needs to know where to. May, maybe he'll be helped out by being back in the garden because if this man steps on the baseline one more time catching a pass, <laughs> I'm gonna flip out. So he needs to. Be it, your it, surroundings, and,
2: man. I know what you're talking about. Yes, especially <laughs> I you, know you know exactly what I'm about. talking
3: about. Like. Come on, man! You can't you 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 are literally living in the corner. You know yep. that's your home. No, you know where you're at on the floor. And then there's Grant Williams. I see this dude, Grant Williams, flop too. Wait, way too often. And he's playing like a player who's been reading his his clippings a little bit. You know, I think Grant will settle down. I'm sure some of those guys got in his ear. He needs to play like the player that we saw hit all them threes in that game seven against the Bucs. Mm-hmm. He needs to play like the guy who, look, man, the draft is next Thursday, and a whole bunch of 6'6", six, 250-pound six, dudes are being inspired by Grant Williams being mm-hmm. an effective player this deep into the playoffs. He needs to get back to that instead of the player who is trying to do literally do too much on either end of the floor, get caught up in the Draymond Green stuff. It ain't working for him. He needs to just go back, play his game. They need those guys to be effective, but it starts with the tone that is set by the leaders of the team, by the stars of the team, and that is Tatum. That's Jalen Brown, that's Marcus Smart, and it's also Al Horford. Who, when Al Horford has played well in this series, the Celtics have won. When Al Horford comes in looking like his age, <laughs> looking like the dude <laughs> that got, got got put on paid leave by the Oklahoma City Thunder this time last year, by the by the dude who had a sabbatical in Philadelphia, and Al's sister's still mad about that, John. He hasn't. That's when Golden State's won. They need Al to come through with his biggest game in a week tomorrow or thursday night
0: you, know, you notice he gave us the jaw
3: too. we get an authentic philly here man oh yeah man <laughs> and to add to your <laughs> point law
2: and to add to your point like when you talk about Derek white and how he needs to be more decisive one play that stood out to me last night he had a wide open three and he pumped fake and then he and then he took it it was like you've been shooting well the whole series take the shot you Know and it was a wide open look. You're not gonna get too many of those being a role player, and you got to make them pay when they leave you. So, I agree with you on that. Those guys definitely got to be ready to shoot, as well as Grant Williams, a guy who Milwaukee was daring to beat them. And he yeah. did just that in game seven with his um ability to knock down three point shots from beyond the art off of driving kicks and catch and shoot situations.
0: Yeah, and that's that's I- the type of stuff we see it every year, every every championship team has those guys, those seventh, eighth guys off the bench who make some sort of uh signature performance to help them through, whether it, you know, whether it's in the early rounds or maybe even in the late in, in the finals. You know, but uh I I, I just I want to see like I said I want to see Tatum really show you no know, he's been trying to uh unearth Kobe or you know speak to his 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 ghost or whatever man you gotta you got to do more than what you're doing if you're trying to evoke uh that man right there and uh you know if, if you're going to get a championship that's that's something that you gotta really speak to instead of just uh you know like say and it'll really be about it and not just speak about it as i should say but uh
3: yeah. hey man somebody said that kobe would have left that ball on red
0: <laughs> 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 yeah oh, i'm sure <laughs> And showed, yes, indeed. But uh, but right, right quick. Uh, one more thing. Uh, go, ahead, go ahead, Steve.
1: And then one more quick thing about the Celtics and their role players. So where they found a lot of success in game five, and really where they found a lot of success um, at the tail end of that series, that mirror series against the Miami Heat, that defense was when they started using Marcus Smart more frequently as a screener because that in turn brings his man into the play as a screener, and that's typically who Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum like to attack as far as getting switches or getting downhill. So if they bring those guys into it, whether it's a single screen or a double drag, whether it's Marcus Smart or Derek White, that in turn is going to allow them to naturally bring who they want into all the actions, which is Stephen Curry. So that's just another way for them to continue to attack him and to kind of like weigh on him as far as his stamina for the whole 48 minutes of the game. So just those little things that got them to where they are now, they need to kind of get back to that and stop, uh, which I think they'll address with a film session more than anything, but just those little subtle things, which is uh, it'll just help them kind of realign themselves with their identity offensively.
0: Right, uh, just throw you know, throw out your, your original predictions or whatever. You know, each one of y'all, what do you think is going to happen Thursday? Do you think we get a game seven?
2: I do. I do. Um, you know, cause I just, I just feel like that this, this has been an evenly matched series, and I, I, if Boston goes out losing three straight games, I'm gonna tell you right now, it's gonna be a cold summer in Boston. Then the Red Sox can't even save it from that. I don't <laughs> care how they get the American League East. Um It's gonna be a cold summer in Boston because you cannot blow championship opportunities when you have them in front of you. And you know you're going to have a lot of people say, well, oh, they're a young franchise, they're on the rise. But we're talking about a, a team that's been to the Eastern Conference Finals, I want to say, like, three out of the last five years, you finally, you finally you finally, get to the dance. You're playing your best basketball. Al Horford ain't getting no young. You know what I'm saying? Granted... Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum are, are stars in their own right, but it's still some questions as to whether or not they can fit. Now, I think they answered those questions in these playoffs, but when you go home without the gold ball, it leaves a lot on Brad Stevenson on Brad Stevens plate to try and figure out how do I improve this roster going into the next season. Um, I've been around situations like this. It, it kind of reminds me of the Houston Rockets in 1718. A lot of people thought when they lost in Game 7 to the Warriors, oh, we'll be back around.
0: Mm.
2: Other than it? not that's not always the case. That's not always the case.
0: Yeah. Law, well, what you think? You see in Game 7?
3: Well, I told you it was going to be Game 7, so you already you know. <laughs> I'm not I throwing that out. Because you, because you, you made a demand? Style. Come on, Kyle. <laughs> like, but, but um, you know, just just to, just to pick back off of what Gabe said, I actually feel like this team, this particular team, is a year early. Like these Bulls was under 500 in January. In yeah. January, like RJ Barrett hit that shot that I still don't understand how the physics of a left-handed man on the right <laughs> side of the right right side of the court hit a game winner like that. But they did it. They did it. And and I believed in them because they had a first year coach who told those dudes that stuff that you know Brad felt. By the end of his run, he wasn't capable of communicating to anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, This is a team that won one playoff game last year. And people forget Jalen Brown wasn't available for that playoff Mm -hmm. series against the Nets last year. I'm so impressed by the progress that they made. And at the same time, we're talking about rotations, right? There's eight guys and two of those guys, well, one of those guys, Peyton Pritchard, was a third striker. (laughs) Uh, You know, he was behind Dennis Schroeder and behind Josh Richardson in addition to the starters. Um, He's their eighth guy. It's clear that that team has another step to take as far as both roster building as well as being on the same page as their head coach from the beginning of the season. That clearly wasn't the case this year. So I'm so impressed that that team had enough growth to get to this point. But also to back up what Gabe said man nba cemeteries littered with coffins of teams that thought they were going to be back and they never they never made it back you talked about the 2018 rockets i can think of the 2012 oklahoma city thunder and balls okay. had three mvps that hadn't even won mvps yet in the finals and they yeah. never got back there right and those are just two examples that's that's the western conference you know we still talk about you know, obviously, you got a bunch of old heads getting on TV, Stephen A. Smith, uh, who get upset anytime the Knicks uh, do anything. But back when the Knicks were worth talking about, what were we talking about? we talking about a 90s Knicks team that a lot of people gravitated towards. They made the finals in 94, lost a game seven, had a 3-2 lead, lost a yeah. game seven. And the only time they ever got back there was the lockout year. They were at AC. Even though they got there, they weren't fully healthy Right. and they lost to the next dynasty that we didn't know about. Uh well that's we don't, that's you don't the, yeah, take that's for granted. the whole
0: East in the nineties. And you can you can extend that to Indiana, to Jersey in the early two thousands, and you know, yeah. this you know, in, Indiana know. again. <laughs> you know, they there's, yeah. there's, there's there's been a lot of teams like that. Yeah. Yeah. To make
3: it to make it a short point, it's a lot easier to win a championship when you two wins away than when you uh, have to look back in an offseason where you didn't and have to yes. climb that mountain again. Only this time, you got a whole bunch of teams in that conference who <laughs> they're not. Un- I don't know if anyone was underestimating Boston before. No one in the East is that good to be overlooking anybody. And And to be honest with you, it's deep. That was a deep conference for the first time in several years. But let's just be real. Uh, you're not going into Boston being like, oh, they got some young they, – they, they, got, they got some decent young talent. Now it's going to be like, oh, these dudes were the Eastern Conference champions with a 2-1 lead in the finals. Uh, mm. But I think Boston's going to win and force a game seven. And then when they lose the championship, it's going to be littered with re- the kind of regret that we're talking about right
0: now. <laughs> let's, we, let's, we're going to get into some law-specific stuff, but Steve – Steven, give me give me your take right quick. Do we see a game seven?
1: I think we do. Uh, Much like Law, I'm sticking to my my prediction. Um, I figured there would be in this predicament where Golden State would be up three-two coming into Game Six at the um, at the New Garden, and I think the Celtics are going to handle their business in front of their home crowd and force a Game Seven, and then I think Golden State is going to take it. Um, If we look at uh, something Doc Rivers talked about when he was coaching the Clippers uh, in the CP3 era, where he talked about how luck has a negative connotation in terms of teams' successes and a consistent and sustained variety um, in the postseason, Um, it's not necessarily a negative thing because when you look at it, teams have injuries. If you find a team that doesn't have injuries that can last in that war of attrition throughout a a rigorous playoff run, run, that's typically going to be the team that makes it to the finals. Miami had a lot of injuries um, in their main rotation. Um, this is not to discredit the Celtics at all, but it's just kind of to support the claim that they need to seize the moment. Uh, Miami had injuries. Um, Chris Middleton was out, of course. And the Nets were never themselves for pretty much the entire season. So, you know, they lay out the lot of the land in terms of how they got to where they are. They seized the moment with each opportunity, and they need to cash in on the returns from that one more time. Will they do it? I don't think so, but I wouldn't be opposed to seeing it. But my – Final
0: prediction was Golden State and seven, and I'ma stick to that at the moment. All right. Well, again, again, I had uh, Golden State in six. So uh, if I'm gonna be right, let me be right. <laughs> if not, at least we'll we, at least we'll have a Game Seven in the finals, which is always pretty cool. But uh, like I said, let's let's uh, you know we get towards the end of the show, but we definitely got some uh, Law Murray specific stuff I want to get into before we go off and you know first we gotta take it back to Philly uh via my via our guy Sean Terry who says he's heading to Philly this weekend and uh I know you got an opinion on this law where can the brother go to get a fire cheese steak I'm guessing you know you you have your preference in in that regard
3: I actually don't because my parents can cook so like um, I can't oh, okay. I can't really hook you up on yeah, I can't really hook you up on that regard. Um but um I would say gyms on South Street, you know, uh that's always that, that's always cool. So um but it's Philly, man. Enjoy your, enjoy yourself. I'm I'm not really the type to tell people what to do when they get to my city. So uh I'll just say enjoy yourself and don't do anything crazy. Definitely, definitely, crazy, sure. cra- 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 crazy enough in
0: Philly you hear him sean you know, you hear him sean but you know being like say being a show Philly guy we got to get your opinion on the philly team the 76ers man Like, you oh, know what man. what's up with what's up with that franchise man what's <laughs> what's the outlook for them right now man
3: well i actually stepped out of my i don't want to say out of bounds or anything uh shout out to the athletic i get to do more than just cover the team that um on the beat for which is the clippers but um the 76ers not even because i'm from philly just because i study basketball um they made the playoffs fifth year in a row cool that's like they this is not the process anymore as Mm -hmm. far as the tanking part of it uh but they have failed to make the conference finals in any of those five years and i actually was studying this when i was covering the clippers uh, before I got to ESPN uh, back in 2016, when the Clippers made the playoffs five years in a row. But none of those five years included a trip to the conference finals. So I look back through every time in NBA history, there was an instance of teams that made the playoffs five years in a row and failed to make the conference finals for a stretch of at least five years. What happened to those teams? I called it playoff purgatory. And I wrote a whole story on it. It's not that complicated, but conversationally, the long story short or the TLDR is you're not winning a championship before you have to dip out the playoffs and back into the lottery for at least a year first. So long story short there, Philly is at a crossroads. Uh, It's one that Doc Rivers is very familiar with because obviously he was coaching the Clippers back in 2016. That Clippers team came back the next year had the Jazz in the first round of 2017, lost. And then they, they they traded Chris immediately, extended Blake, but eventually traded Blake. And that was the last year of DeAndre Jordan. The whole era ended, right? Uh, they did a great job in handling that transition of errors, but it was the era ended regardless. Ironically, that Jazz team was the first of now six straight years that they made the playoffs and failed to make the conference finals as well. So you have two teams and one in each conference that are at this crossroads of they've been good for a while, but they have not broken through to the contender status that is usually marked by getting to a conference finals at least once in a five-year period while you're in the playoffs. So we all know what the deal is with Philly, what's going to happen with Harden, what's his next contract looking like for a guy who is still real good, but not MVP level like he like like he was. That Harden's gone. I think Joel Embiid was pretty blunt about that fact. And with the Jazz, we were talking about Brad Stevens, talking about this NBA Finals, talking about why it was important that Ime Udoka was a different kind of voice. And now Brad is running the front office. Well, now the Jazz have a similar situation because Quinn Snyder literally just quit and said there was nothing. The only reason he's leaving, you know, it's not like he got pushed out, it's not like he hates these zoos. He literally was just like they need a new voice, and I'm not that guy. And so he's going to chill out for a year and enjoy himself. And and so you got one team in the West who really good team for a while. Now they're looking for a new coach, and then you got one team in the East. One of the most fascinating uh, decisions as far as a contract um, that we're probably
0: going to get all off season. Well, you know, you you cover daily a, a pretty fascinating team as well. And uh, you know we we definitely got to get your thoughts on the Clippers. And you know I, I I'm, I'm thinking, in, in setting this up, I'm I'm going back to the game that they played here uh, in Chicago late in the season, the regular season. They just got uh, Paul George back. You know, I think it was the second game that yeah. he played back from off Ooh. the injury. And uh, were you were you here for that game, law. Uh, I was I was. It was dope. <laughs> Yeah, it was it was a real good Maybe game. Maybe not for and the
3: Clippers, but it was great. It was great for me. <laughs>
0: yeah,
3: it was a game.
0: That was a game that really, at the time, gave Chicago people a lot of, you know, encouragement about because it was the first game that in a while that the Bulls played where they looked like something against a pretty a pl- pretty much a playoff team. I mean, the thing with the Clippers, of course, is that. You know, you had the excuse all year of not having Kawhi and not having uh, PG for most of the year. You know, you get PG late, and then the whole thing is about, well, maybe you could ramp it up through the play-in into the playoffs. It doesn't really happen. uh, You know, not much comes of that, of course, but you still have the outlook now available to you where you have both of them likely coming back in full strength Next fall, and uh, you know, you 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 know, you can go from there. But uh, you know, I mean, just give give your thoughts on the Clippers as they stand right now. What is this offseason going to look like for them? Is there going to be a lot of restructuring? Is is there if it's even possible of the roster, or, or are they just going to be like, let's strap up with our with our guys again, our big two, and see how far we can go?
3: Well, first as a very quick aside, uh, I'm a huge DeMar DeRozan fan and yeah. I, that might have been the best game he ever played in his whole life. <laughs> so, <laughs> and I got to and I got to catch up with DeMar briefly on the way on the way out. So, to your point about how galvanized and that might have been for the Bulls even in the short term, he just told me it was like desperation. Like he, they played desperate basketball that night. They were down, they had no business winning that game. But mm-hmm. what happened was the Clippers ran out of gas. Um, it was a foreshadowing. Because that was actually the last regular season game that the Clippers lost. It was the only time they lost since Paul came back. The very next night, a bunch of dudes sat and they put 150 on the Bucs. Uh, yes, about yes they did. Yeah. Okay, so, I was on that trip, too. I, I, I had some chicken wings across the street. Took a, took a quick nap. Woke up and saw Robert Covington all the way mm-hmm. off you know <laughs> now let me tell you something that's relevant to what we're going to talk about with the Clippers all season because there ain't nothing to talk about Clippers all season like they <laughs> signed Rocco last month and kept him off the market and that might mind up being the biggest move that they make you know mm-hmm. they basically made their move mid-season you discussed they knew Kawhi's situation going into the year and then Paul tore his elbow uh Right before Christmas and they still had the togetherness, the toughness and just the just the flexibility to get themselves a 42 and 40 record. Uh, you know they should have made the playoffs. They did not uh, they weren't successful in the playing, uh, just like the Golden State Warriors a year ago. so you obviously know, you know, you can use that as a launching pad to do a bigger thing the following year, and with that in is, mind, is that? But I'm sorry,
0: I gotta, I gotta, yeah. it, it gotta, I gotta go in right on that because that's that's interesting to me right there. Yeah, Golden State provides such a, an obvious blueprint now for teams who maybe have to fall back a little bit, and I don't know—is that any? You, I, you you obviously said it yourself, but is that something that you may have gleaned from the team itself or anybody or, or the fan base at all that, you know, okay, maybe we could be the next Golden State?
3: I ch- uh, Respect to anyone who's a Clipper fan, but I don't really try and be listening to the fans that much. <laughs> uh- <laughs> you we listening to
2: listen to Clipper Bale?
3: The- I understand. Hell no, man. Like. <laughs> come on i'm around the team I on, the, on, the, on the regular I, I i listen look i hear but it's you know you gotta take everything with a grain of salt you know what i'm saying some of the fans they, they they do a great job with what they're observing but i gotta do my part right so you know i don't want people thinking that um but just from just from that.
0: talking to the team though or, or from yeah, like say from the guys themselves, the dude—is there a feeling from them that they could possibly really turn it up again next year?
3: I mean, you got to remember this team made the conference finals in 2021. You know, we're not talking. Yeah. Of, I mean, Golden State when they made the play-in, they had to bounce back from being the literal worst team in the NBA for a year. You know, yeah. and then they yeah. should have made the playoffs. And you know, obviously, they lost the eighth spot to a Grizzlies team that they would obviously avenge that this year. Um, the the Clippers are coming from a place of their chemistry and togetherness is at a, an incredibly good place right now. That's one of the main reasons this is going to be set up as a quiet offseason. Sure, there's going to be some trade chatter, like they're a responsible organization, which means you – just because you're not the one sending the call, you're still going to pick up the phone when you get one, and you're going to do your due diligence. That's how they messed around and got Norman Powell and Robert Covington in the middle mm-hmm. of the season after nobody had any thought that Robert was I don't know about CoV, he was in a contract year, but Powell signed a new contract with a team that traded for him just months earlier. You know, who thought Norman Powell, when la- this past season started, was a trade candidate? But that's what the difference is between the offseason and the midseason. In the offseason, I'll tell you what, whoever wins this championship, they're the happiest teams in the league are going to be the 2018s that didn't lose the NBA Finals because they're going to be like, we ain't – we have no losses. Let's go with this optimism. Bobs are going to be good everywhere, even with the Lakers. <laughs> the Lakers. Lakers got themselves a new head coach. Russ showed up to the press conference. Yep, we good. You know what I'm saying? Everybody – thinks that they can do something in June, July, and August. They ain't get hit in the mouth yet. And so that's what happened with Portland. Portland went from being a team that always makes the playoffs, new head coach, to a team that all of a sudden, oh, shit, we got a general manager who we got to get him out the paint real quick. And, uh uh-oh, it turns out our whole lineup needs to get put on ice because we're not going to be very good this year, and we need to tank and, when, oh, shoot, we got to pay Ann Simons. Norm Powell makes a lot of money. Let's get off that deal right now. Let's get off of CJ, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You don't have that in the all season. But in the midseason, teams start, you know, their season starts going sideways and they start becoming sellers out of nowhere. And so the Clippers... The reason why this offseason is going to be relatively quiet, or at least is set up to, is because they've already made their moves. When they made the conference finals, everyone was tripping about Kawhi's contract, what's going to happen, what surgery did he get, you know what I'm saying, is he talking to these dudes still, is he, like, no, there's no drama like that. You know, everybody the Clippers wanted back last year, they got back, and it's going to be the same thing here even less drama because you don't have guys like Kawhi Leonard up for new contracts. It's more like Isaiah Hartenstein and Amir Coffey and what's going to happen with Nico Batum and Ibiza Zubats and their respective options. And they don't have a lottery pick. They go with that. They got a full roster anyway. You know who their lottery pick is? Paul George and Kawhi Leonard coming back. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs>
3: like. There's a whole bunch of silver linings involved with the Clippers not having a deep playoff run, which is what they had the previous two years. Now you got an older group of guys who are going to get their rest, who know that, who they're going to – not just they know where they're going to be, but they know who they're going to be playing with for the most part. Um, even though those a lot of those guys had a significant time, they were together. They were on flights. They were in practice, rehab sessions, coaches, meetings, whatever you want to call it. Guys have really developed a camaraderie with the Clippers, and that really enables them and puts them in a position where when the next season starts, there's a lot of built-in trust that some teams are going to have to take months to develop. And the Clippers are going to have to get going again too, you know, a bunch of these dudes. Kawhi is going to have 15 months between his last game, which was is exactly a year ago today, and when he makes his return from injury, which we're going to all celebrate if we not haters. And, you know, that's going to be – look, basketball is hard. Basketball is hard. Like some Bulls, they they get on the park and they would be like, hey, man, I ain't playing two weeks. And you would be like, all right, I guess that's a good excuse. So we got to have some empathy for dudes who wind up taking a year or more off, right? But that's where the Clippers are at when it comes to the draft, when it comes to free agency, potential trades. They're not looking to do a whole heck of a lot because
0: they feel great about the team that they have, and they have reason to feel great about it. That's you know, and that's a really good position to be in when you think about it, because so much of the NBA, with and this, it could be the case for winning teams and you know mediocre teams and flat out bad teams. So much of the NBA is based on this sort of frenzy that that can occur at any time when you're talking about the rosters and stars retaining stars and trying to get other stars to, to come into your franchise and whatnot, you look, you can look at the teams like Atlanta or, you know, you know, who, who was, you know, trying to full of talent, but trying to figure out how they're going to maintain, how they're going to reestablish that talent next year or re you know, just, no. You know, Reach, re uh, organize their their roster. Or well, you could look at the Bulls where such an encouraging season we had this year, but we still gotta worry about Zach Levine for the next month and you know where his mind is at. You know, it is is it's, it's it's a hectic thing that's involved when we talk about it just about the situation of any uh you know uh NBA team there's very few teams that are in a position, like you say, law with the Clippers, where you're going into an off season, like Look, we got our squad and we, and we pretty much just going to work around the edges. And, uh, you know, but as far as our stars go, we know who we got and we go, uh, we ready to go, you know, when I mean, uh, y'all
3: happy about Garpex, not being in <laughs> anymore. Yeah.
0: Making these I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we just thank heaven that we don't have him and, uh, and God Gar- and, uh, my man Jim Broiling, uh, boiling anymore. That, that's Ooh. all. He- shout out to the
3: leadership
2: committee. There was some down years, man, because we, we had
0: some bad years. Yes. I had
2: to, I had to, I had to refuse tickets. And shout out to my man Bob Rosenberg, who been doing the scores table work since the inception of the franchise. Man, sometimes he'd be like, "You will go to?" I'm like, "No, uh-uh." <laughs> and I remember seeing some games when they were playing against elite level contenders. I would go every once in a while, and they was getting knocked out by like 30 plus fans leaving early third quarter early fourth quarter man that was a nasty time that boiler yeah. was nasty. that'd
0: be the only reason the go is is who they're playing against but exactly you know yeah. yeah you know the now they got it back to where you know you got, you actually want to see the bulls again so that that's we have that going for us but uh well yeah 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 La, uh yeah, you know, if uh, if you guys got any questions, right quick, we gonna go. We gonna get to the Drew League stuff and uh, then wrap it up. But uh, Gabe and Steve, you got any questions for Law? Right quick.
2: I mean, I know you was talking about Law with the Clippers. You know, not really having to do too much in the off season. Um, but you know, a lot of talk has been with the Clippers, like you know, with they're 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 deep on the wing. There's, you know, with Zubak, if they are able to, you know, resign him, they got they got some size up front with Hardenstein. I thought he came around. I'm familiar with him, covering him in his early days. The Rockets off a fan-sided. Um, what's your take on the point guard situation, and who do you think they could get at a serviceable cost? I know a lot of people think John Wall, but from a salary standpoint, <laughs> unless he's willing to give up some bread, we know that that's not going to work. So, like, what's a veteran?
3: or, or uh, a serviceable point guard that you think they could get in the building over there? I'm not even, uh, let's put it this way. I filed a story today that will be up tomorrow. Y'all going to get back to me on that one. Um, okay, cool. But, what, yeah, y'all, y'all, you'll see what I mean. But um, long story short, the Clippers, uh, they, they're not looking at the point guard's position like that anymore. Uh, okay. They're, they're really not. Uh, I think, though, now that because you mentioned it and not me, John Wall is an interesting player if he winds up opting in to that 47 million, right? And then getting bought out because what sane person outside of 47 million when you only played one out of the last basically four years? And so, you know, I know John Wall um, got a lot of respect from um, the guys on the Clippers, even though I don't think he's ever really played with those guys. On the floor, obviously a lot of dudes know John Wall, and uh John Wall would be an would be an intriguing kind of fit, but he's not a player that like. When I say the Clippers roster is full, it is really really full. Like they are happy with the guys they have, and there's not a lot of roster spots, so they're just not looking. And let me just explain very briefly why they're not looking for a point guard, because. Y'all remember they had Lou Williams and traded him for Rajon Rondo, and Arizona's like, "Oh, look, they fixed the point guard situation." And we all saw that wasn't really it, right? And then last year they basically had no point guard outside of Reggie and Eric Bledsoe, and then they trade Eric. Uh, the Clippers are going to have the ball in Kawhi and PG's hands as much as possible, and they just added another dude who needs the ball in Norman Powell. So. That's cool when you think about that and you think about, okay, what are we looking at as traditional point guards, you know, transition, pick and roll, penetrate and drive and kicks. Okay. They got big wings who can do that. And they got some other guys who are on a secondary level can do that in the pinch. Obviously Reggie was over taxed. We saw way too much Reggie Jackson last year, but he had to, you know, because the other dudes who could cook as Ty Lu would say, weren't there. Um, But Reggie's going to slide back into a much more comfortable role. Those big wings, they're going to be on the floor. And even when one of them are off, Norman Powell's going to be there. Terrence Mann is he did an outstanding job continuing to develop his game. And Jason Preston was a rookie that they targeted. Think about the way we look at point guards. A lot of these dudes are, you know, water bug types, you know, smaller, stronger, big guards, whatever. Preston is a pass-first guy. A lot of point guards now are not pass-first guys. We're not looking at the 90s anymore, you know what I'm saying, hand check era point guards where you had to pass the ball, you know right. what I'm saying. Like No, nah, but n- n- you got a guy in Preston who they targeted and said that the only guy who they thought was a better passer in that entire draft class was Josh Giddy, which is high praise if you've seen Josh Giddy pass the rock. Mm-hmm. And Josh giddy is a big guard too. And so mm-hmm. they're looking forward to what he can do. If that dude can play legitimate NBA minutes next fall, then we ain't talking about bringing in a veteran to take minutes away from certain guys. So um, when that that's kind of the view when it comes to point guard. It's complicated. Dudes would love to see that classic point guard play. But let's bring it back to the Boston Celtics again. A team built off of two big wings, just like the Clippers, right? They got Marcus Smart, who is annoying as hell as a point guard because that dude you know, you would not trust that dude with your baby, you know. But at the same time, didn't we see the Celtics with Kemba Walker? Didn't we see the Celtics with Kyrie Irving, with Isaiah Thomas? Mm-hmm. Didn't Marcus Smart start his career playing with Rondo? Where did that get them? Where are they at right now? And that's all I'm going to say about that. That's mm-hmm. a
2: good point. I forgot about Preston too out of Ohio. Yeah, they did get him last year in the second round and I was I was wondering what you know they were doing with him. I know he was recovering, you know, from knee injury and whatnot. I think he got a little run to G League. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested. He didn't
3: play. He didn't play at all. He didn't play in the G. He had foot surgery because. Oh yeah, that's right. That's a, yeah, bad. Just bad luck. He got hurt less than a week before camp. He had mm-hmm. surgery a week into camp, and they put him on ice. But I saw him work out in that practice facility for months. Um, okay. I can't. And I, I'm 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 excited for him. He's he's someone that I've gotten you know. Um, a I've gotten to see work for a, a, his whole rookie year. I thought they would let him debut, but they decided not to, which means that he's eligible for all the rookie awards next year. So if you want to look at him as another rookie, that's again, like that's just the thing. It's like, "Oh, you don't have a lottery pick. You're only picking once in the second round, but you also got a dude who you didn't he didn't get to play. He didn't get the debut. He's going to get the debut next year. We're going to treat him like a rookie next year." And that's sometimes you gotta flip your thinking and your perspective on it, and that's and that's how you build a team. And that's how you build a depth chart.
0: Another yeah. potential ace in the hole for the Clippers, but uh, I was about to throw it to Steve. Was the Steve <laughs> jumped off? I don't know. Was hopefully we'll get him back on. But uh, but uh, yeah, law definitely. Uh, before we go, I want to get you to talk about the Drew League. And uh, that was one of the things that, you know, uh, I, I've, I've been eyeing you to come on the show for a while anyway. But, uh, you know, I saw that you came out with the feature last week in The Athletic about the Drew Lee. Uh, you know, just, you know, for those who don't know, I think if you watch this show, uh, you know, you're probably into basketball enough to know. But I'm putting the link up in our chat now. You know, really just an amazing, uh, uh, you know, uh, summer league pro-am uh, you know, in L.A., historic, you know, goes back decades, you know, pretty much everyone who's everyone in L.A. has played there professionally. You know, people, of course, the the wealth of people who've come up through L.A., uh, grew up in L.A. and played there is amazing. And, um, you know, as I, I like the way you started the feature, man, where you had the Kevon Looney talking about the last time that he scored uh, 20 points prior to, Doing it in the Western Conference Finals this year, you know, he, he mentioned college probably, but but he said Drew League definitely, and he, he said to count that, you know, yeah, he, he, definitely for him it made a, a it, it meant a lot that he was able to get off in Drew League, and uh, you know, just sort of give you know you you actually have covered the league for a while, I like, said, so you've been out in L.A. for a long time, you uh, saw in your. Uh, in your in your bio on the uh, you you um athletic you it said you wrote for uh, a Drew League website League dot org, uh you know, give us your history you know from your perspective of the Drew and you know what you know what it means to you and what it's meant to basketball in Southern California.
3: Well, w- shoot, I'm gonna just start with the Drew, starting in
0: 1973.
3: And it started, it's called the Drew because the games were played at Charles Drew Middle School in in uh, South Central L.A. Eventually, the leagues um, migrated to Washington Park um, in the early part of the century. And then uh, about 10 years ago, uh, they moved to King Drew um, High School. And last year, you know, the last two years were very um, different years, obviously, Um 2020 was the pandemic. Nobody was playing. 2021 last year, um, they started on Juneteenth. It was a comeback year, but they had to play the games in Bosco because I don't know if people realize we're still in a pandemic, you know, and accommodations had to be made to adjust for that. Like, you know, LAUSD wasn't having anybody use facilities uh, last year. So they had to play games kind of on the – East, white, like way east of where they normally play. So this summer is a big deal because it's back at the site that they're supposed to be at. For people who are concerned about sponsorships, like it was a Nike league for a while, and now it's Adidas uh, has is the primary sponsor. So um, the look and feel that that is something that is different. There are streaming games this year. That's stuff that I all, all that was covered in the article um and in a couple weeks so not this weekend but i believe the following weekend there's actually going to be a program uh, tournament where the drew and five other cities uh new york philly baltimore atlanta miami they're all going to come to la at the drew and they're going to have a a, a tournament and that's going to be something that we have never really seen and that's going to be cool it's this feels like the form will come back of of summer pro and basketball, whereas last year was the accommodation, kind of like the NBA season. We got an NBA season last year that was littered with all kinds of protocols and accommodations just to get through the damn year, right? So that's what it's reflected with summer basketball. As far as, like, what it means to me, I mean, again, I should have been down there way before 2014. I had a few summers in L.A. before that. But I either didn't know about the league or I had other stuff going on Finally, like I was about to wrap up my master's degree from USC, I had one more thing to do as far as an internship had a credit left, and I decided to try and get on and cover the Drew as a part of my internship, and it was a it, it's really been a start of a great extension of my relationship with basketball in general. I mean, I love to play still. Um, I need to get healthy, um, but I love the I love the still and like. I appreciate all levels of players, you know. Um, basketball, like I said, it's, 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 it's hard. And the once you do it at the highest level, you got to respect them. But also the ones who do it below the game, and that's what it is at the Drew. I mean, dudes is coming in there playing hard. You, you come in there unprepared, all acts is days cool, and you're going to get embarrassed in real time. Uh, I remember last summer, Chandler Horton Tucker, he came to the Drew Chicago products. I know you're all familiar with him.
0: I was say he had to Chicago, dude.
3: <laughs> yeah, I mean, my man, I feel bad for him. I hope he comes back because he didn't he didn't acquit himself well last year, and he got mm. called out. He got called out last year. He got called out last weekend when I was there. He said, "Hey, Taylor was the truck of the year," and I'm like, "Oh man!" And I put a video up, you know, showing how he was just playing and not not doing all that hot and catching all kinds of heat from the announcer pa announcer george and people was coming at me being like why you put this out on taylor Hortucky? don't you cover the clippers and that's why i tell y'all i don't trip about the fans because <laughs> they don't know what they don't know sometimes man <laughs> so um Wait, right you, right quick yeah. does that
0: happen often yeah. like people think you have an agenda an anti-lakers agenda that uh, will you with with things
3: if, that's cool if I have an anti-Lakers agenda, which I don't, by the way. The Lakers do it to themselves. But, <laughs> you know, again, I don't – the worst is if the team that you're covering and people think that you're supposed to be a fan of the team or the yeah. flip side, they think that you, you know, that 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 you hating on the on the team. If I'm telling the truth and I got facts, receipts, and all levels of consistency, then you can say what you want, you know. I'm gonna be fair and not fair and balanced in the Fox News way either. You know, I, I know what I, yeah. I, I, I respect. Yeah, I respect what we what we do as journalists too much. I respect what we have is covering these athletes too much, and there's stakeholders beyond that, the community beyond that. You know, I ain't gonna mess around, but I'm gonna have fun. It's basketball, <laughs> so yeah. I'm gonna have fun. I'm gonna be respectful, and um, if I got something to say,
0: I'm probably saying it for a reason. You you mentioned playing. Did have you actually played in the Drew? In the, in the actual I have league, played in the Drew. I had played in the Drew.
3: Um, <laughs> I played against Shimezi Matu and Benny Boatwright, and that was not fun. I only played because the team that they were playing against wasn't gonna have enough players to get into, you know, to have a game. And a forfeit is wow. beyond the fact that it's a loss. It's a horrible look, you know. what I'm saying. So I was like, "Yo, it's a Sunday morning." I'm dressed to play because I'm a hooper, and that's what I do. You know what I'm saying? This boy done hooping church shoes and Timberlands. Like, uh, give me some sneakers, and I'm going to be ready to roll, right? And so, you know, I didn't score. I airballed a three. I'm going to let y'all know. Like, I played like a Sunday morning. But I grabbed some rebounds and didn't completely embarrass myself. But that was a highly athletic team. We're talking about some pros. And, yeah, they got clown. They got clowned. It wasn't even a bad team. Um, I think they were around 500 when they were like, yo, we got, I'm, I'm up here doing the tweets. Then I go to the locker room, get in uniform. Like, all right, I guess I got to play. And then by the end of the game, I'm back running the Twitter account for the Drew League. Like nothing happened. <laughs> you know, That's I think that man. was 2020. 20, yeah. I think that was 2015. You know what I'm saying? So I've been in the mix. Uh, there was another time where I didn't get in the game, but I got in uniform mm-hmm. to help another team from not forfeiting again, we all in the gym games are flowing five game schedules this year, but they used to be up to like seven, eight games schedules before. Don't nobody want to have a forfeit. Okay. So I'm like, yo, give me a uniform. I a couple guys come in late off from LA airport that we've already established what it is there. Right. <laughs> I understand. Right. And you know, enough guys got there where I didn't have to play, but what they did was they took a picture for, of me for player of that game, by the way, because I helped them get that game started on time, they won the game and wound up making the playoffs. And then they took a picture of me for that player of the game with zero points, zero rebounds, zero assists. And I'm like, all right, I'll, I can take the joke, but people need to know I didn't get into that game. If I get into a game, I'm at least getting a steal. And not the Jose Alvarado steal either. I'm a, going to move my feet and I'm going to let you get the ball up. So. Uh, but so you come but away yeah, with man.
0: something if you play it for real. I, Ab- I absolutely, I got yeah, to. man. We ain't, yeah, we 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 getting we getting
3: something in the box score. That's how I always play.
0: But who who was uh, I got? I got two questions. First, who who's was the pro player who you were, you've been most impressed with seeing live at the Drew, and who is the non-pro player who? really defines what the drew is in your opinion
3: well well, oh, that's tough man um that's, that's that's tough the pro player who shows up and is a cheat code and i'm looking forward to seeing him ironically is actually james harden when james harden yeah. comes to the drew james is a james is a problem um but i haven't seen james on that stage in a few years and james is an Adidas athlete so he is like and obviously he's from LA, he is.
0: And this would seem to be excited. a year, I, I, not in the world, but this would be a scene to be. You know, like in in the past, players of you know Durant in, in in New York, and some players have utilized summer moments to prove something or ref, refurbish themselves and so on. That might be the case this year. It Might have to be the case this year for Harden.
3: Oh yeah, you know, oh, yeah. coming Jam- off of James. James could use some good vibes. He hasn't had yeah. that in a few years. So like um I'm I'm fascinated to see what he's gonna look, look like this summer. There's like a single digit percent chance that he not play at the Drew sometime. So um yeah. in in the past, when he's played, he he can't he there's he he looks like you know one of the best players ever because he is one of the best players ever. Top 75 of all time, right? Um so I gotta, I gotta put him on that, on on that level. Um, as far as a non, that's tough to define because, you know, pro ain't just NBA. You know, sure, you got sure. Guys, well, I mean, got well, let me, let other, me, but, let me,
0: let me restate it there. Just a player we wouldn't know, obviously.
3: Well, I think people know Franklin said by now, and I, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, Big Big Frank, Frank Nitty, yeah. but. But y'all ain't know Frank Nitty five years ago. And That's like true. before he played in the big three, before he got regular overseas opportunities, that kind of thing, he put he put the time in at the Drew. Like there, you know, five years ago, we were talking about how he was selling phones with Verizon. Um, and now mm-hmm. he has a whole different life, comfortably paid through basketball and through I mean, he was always a great athlete. He played at Weber State with Damian Man Lillard, and Dame would mm-hmm. talk Frank up like you know, he was a special athlete. Obviously Frank just didn't have all his stuff together in terms of, you know, um, being, you know, sometimes guys hit their maturity at different levels. Frank, uh, Frank's came later. Frank is an amazing dude. Like, uh, so I, I I love the, not just the progress he's made as a basketball player, but just as a person and, and as a presence, because he knows eyeballs are on him and he just enjoys it. So, um, I guess now though, You got to start thinking about the next generation, like, you know, guys who are who have a whole lot more ahead of them, guys in their 20s. Who would that be? And, man, that's that's tough. The reigning MVP of the Drew is Pat Rembert. But Pat, I think he's on the other side of 32. Uh, And that's a good that's a good one. I might I might have to come back. I might have to come back to that one and let this summer marinate. I mean, technically, the summer hasn't even started yet. You know, but like we established before, I ain't a meteorologist, so I'm not going (laughs) to. I'm not going to be beholden to that fact. How
0: how long do they have? Game? Do the games extend for? Because I'm actually going to be in LA in late July. Will they still be playing games then?
3: Oh yeah, the playoffs don't start until August. So yeah. yeah, we there's going to be regular season games until the first weekend in August. And then that first weekend, it it, it works like the, the NBA playoffs, actually. This is the smallest group of teams that I can ever remember the Drew League having while I've covered it. Obviously, the league started with six teams. So we're not talking about the olden days, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as the modern era of the Drew, I mean, when I first started covering, there were 28 teams. I think last summer there were Uh, I want to say 22 teams. Now it's down to 20. But eight teams in both divisions are going to make the playoffs still. And they're still going to have the first round, second round, you know, the division champions who make it to the championship game. Uh, And that's going to take two weekends. And it's going to be great. So uh, July is going to be popping. Like I was hanging out there. I saw all 20 teams play. And I got to chill, I got to relax. You know what I'm saying? Uh Ain't gonna be no chilling and relaxing come July when dudes start playing with a chip on their shoulder. So th- I'm very eager to. See to you. At you, man. You know, it,
0: like, yeah. the, like the last weekend of July, I might, I should be out there. So, hey, uh, man, my I hope, my hope
3: I'll be there. <laughs> hope <I've> been- the <laughs> don't make that trade that I said they won't be making. <laughs> <laughs> I've
2: been, I've been dying to get out to LA to check out the Drew League. I've been a big time fan of the Drew League since I've been in college. And I, I agree with you. Like, I've watched a lot of Harden tapes, like, in mixtapes and stuff, especially covering the Rockets when I did when uh, for fan side from, like, 18 to 20. And, man, he put on a lot of big-time shows out there. And that's what really made me pay attention to, like, the off-season grind of a lot of these players.
0: Yeah. Do you think that the Drew was disp- – because it seemed like – like the the you know the rucker and all that East Coast stuff has sort of died down a little bit in in recent years, but the the Drew has kept going and and, and as you wrote in in your piece, you know they're they're actively doing more to to keep themselves relevant, like with the streaming and all that. It is it, does it seem to be like a, a a concerted effort for the Drew to sort of be a defining summer basketball event not only in cali but you know maybe across the whole country
3: i think uh, honestly man um i don't think the drew needs to try to do that it's la for one it's basketball for two um and be yeah just like everyone wants to be at the drew um at some point of their basketball like relevance and the thing about the East Coast, you mentioned Rucker. I mean, look, that's an iconic place. Like the Drew League has gone to Rucker Park. You know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. that's why I'm excited for this program thing at the end of the month. Like whoever runs you know, winning cities, is man. gonna have like uh you know, their bragging rights, but there's a reason the Drew's hosting it, you know what I mean? Like so the Drew League is worldwide. Like there are people overseas who are very familiar with the Drew who you know, not just have athletes who play there, but, like, they got scouts coming out to the Drew League to watch how some of these dudes get down. They Everybody's trying to find, you know, they're their, a, a new player. Uh The Adam hicks Salem movie, Hustle, that just came out, uh, mm-hmm. that's going to have us calling Wanto on Gomez Bo Cruz for the foreseeable future. Like, this it's actually, you know, that was a really well-done movie, and when you kind of understand the culture of basketball that goes beyond the... Top line of how we're evaluating prospects and how we find these dudes. It's like, yeah, man. Like, don't, don't, don't think that scouts have to turn over a lot of stones, man. Like, they hear some dudes killing it uh, on the on the streets or somewhere or in a in a program or whatever. Yeah, the, some of these dudes are not above coming and check you out, and that's what happens at the Drew. I, Frank Session is the most blatant example. It just happens, man. So, um, yeah, uh, look. George, my guy George, gets on the mic and often talks about how L.A. has has snatched the title of the Mecca of basketball from New York. And that's not – I don't have a real claim in that. Uh, people from L.A. hate people from L.A. when it comes to basketball. <laughs> but let's just be real. It's a big state. They should be good. So I'm going to just leave it at I'm, – I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll say that too. But uh, there's a – yeah, like – this is a place where a lot of dudes want to be at um, and, and, sh- and show to show off one time. I just saw Kay Cunningham and Hamadou Diallo chilling. Like, those dudes weren't playing, but they were just chilling watching the Drew. And it's only week two. There's not a whole lot talked talk about this early in the Drew League summer. But uh, Adidas, and why this is relevant from the brand's perspective, they're going to make a push to get their guys since it's the first year of that partnership, they're going to make a push to get their guys seen and, 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 you know, have a push in that <laughs> regard. So. Have
2: you yeah. heard anything about Trey young possibly coming back? I know he's oh, an Tra- Adidas guy and he came oh, and Ch- he, he lit it on fire the first time. I remember mm-hmm. they made a big time deal out of that.
3: Oh yeah. I, I expect, I expect Trey to show up. Remember Atlanta's going to be one of those uh, cities in the program. So I, I, I'm, I don't know who's going to – there's a difference between showing up and being seen and coming through and playing.
0: Right.
3: I don't know. I can't – and it's not my job to promise anything anyway. I'm not here Right, to I understand. But that being said, you know, I'm probably going to see Trey at some point this summer. Uh, Trey enjoyed himself. That's the big thing. Like, Trey enjoyed, enjoyed coming out and playing. Like, he got to play on Baron Davis's team which wasn't even good that summer, but he had a great time. You know, Giannis he came out to mm-hmm. to watch and it was a big thing because it was like, oh snap, it's Giannis. He's watching yeah. the Drew. Nothing else but just watching the Drew. And you know, this dude, Giannis gets excited when he has a popsicle. You know, <laughs> imagine him having the Drew aid. So um, it, that's how it was when it was really, um, I mean, it's always been fun, but like this summer is going to be a different energy just because of the latter stages of the pandemic that we're in. And obviously we were in much more, uh, a much more critical phase of the
0: pandemic in the previous two summers. Yeah. It, it seemed like, it's just like a perfect place for so many guys to get together. Cause it seemed like all you hear about in the off season anyways, guys going out to LA to train and, you know, right. can, you know, can, can uh, you know, get together in, in one way or another. So. Yeah, you, know, you know, to have that Drew League right there, whether a guy just wanna come and watch ball or you know, get involved themselves, you know, seems to be a natural natural thing there. And you know, you, you talk about the Mecca ball right quick. I I got you know, before we uh, wrap up, you know, we we stake our claim too in Chicago. And I know, um, man. You know it, it, Remember, it, I covered
3: Patrick Beverly, so Yeah, you know, naturally. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we hear about it. And now I'll cover Robert Covington, another Illinois guy. So,
0: yeah. You know, yeah, but it, it's a lot of it's a, it's an interesting thing, too, because I, I think, you know, Gabe, you know, you remember going back to, you know, uh, like late last year, we was taught, we've been talking on this show a lot about people coming from other parts of the country, in particular, Chicago area, to go to Southern California to play like him. For prep schools and everything, of course, Amari Bailey famously has done that, and you know, uh, you know, there's been other kids, but you know, J. J. Taylor, I, I, yeah, JJ Taylor, yeah. So, I, I, right quick, you know, uh, it, I don't know if you've observed that in any way, you know, on the lower levels, on the prep levels, and everything, law, but you know, has that made you know, has that been like a thing in Southern Cali about you know getting you know being a draw from for other players from rising players from other areas of the country and you know how how, how has that sort of affected things and i, I guess it's probably made it more popping in, in a lot of ways
3: And you know uh, you, you bring up uh, those guys and and um i cover brandon boston who's from you know atlanta area um rookie with the clippers and you know He's from Norcross, but he played his senior year at Sierra Canyon. You know, you know him, mm-hmm. Sierra Canyon. You know the the the, the uh, early 2010s Miami Heat. <laughs> all there. Yeah. Exactly, man. You talk about popping. Like I've never been there, but I know that I got to plan my day if I would ever go there. You know, like you go to that game, man. ain't like going to what my games were in high school, that's for sure. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, like, you got Drake at them games.
1: <laughs> like, yes.
3: Yeah, so... But here's the thing, man. Because um, we in a different era of prep school and preparing. Like, honestly, the United States has, you know, an opportunity... Well, not an opportunity, but like, um, you know you got some great talent overseas and what happens with those guys are they are groomed to be in basketball academies or the equivalent of them from an early age. So like, you're getting a similar thing here. Like, you know, uh, Kanye West had the Don, the Don, the prepper Don Academy or something like that. One of my good friends, um, Frank Robinson who won a championship at the drew league hit a, clutch three-pointer in front of Kobe Bryant to win the 2013 title. And I spent my first summer chronicling something that I had never even seen, but everybody heard of, right? Uh, He coached that team. He coached that Don the Prep Academy team. And he's not going to coach them going forward, but that's because Frank's got such a portfolio of things to do. As a trainer of not just young talent, but also of talent that is preparing to go into the league. And now he's got this academy that he or, you know, his facility that he's been uh, working on for years. Like Frank Robinson is a basketball like that's the great thing about the Drew. You hear about guys who have a big role in the community of basketball or the conversation of basketball or where basketball is going, that if you just watch NBA games or you know how a lot of NBA folk are, they don't even watch the game. They just hit on Twitter and react to whatever, you know, is on TV that next morning. Right. Um, But like if that's all you get from the league, you're missing a ton. But if you are embedded in the game in a different way, you, you, you just know a lot more people. Right. And so, you know, that's the evolution of this country. You got Overtime Elite. Uh, you got G League Ignite. You got kids who have different options, more expanded options. You got kids going back to college now for longer, longer periods of time because of NIL, right? I know mm-hmm. that's beyond what we're talking about here with prep school and in California and L.A. in particular. But uh, that's the thing, though. Uh, The benefit of all of us is we came up a certain type of way. And if you're open hearted and open minded, you understand that you have your perspective and your experience. But you also know that we saw some changes when we was coming up. And damn it, there's more changes happening right now and there's going to be more changes. You can't ever, you know, be so set in your ways um, that you're blind to what's happening with these kids and what their opportunities are. But you do. If everyone ever comes up to you and wants some perspective or wants some guidance, it's great when they come to you. They come to us. Like we're paying attention. We talk to a bunch of people. We're listening to a bunch of people. You know, um, the basketball community is
0: expanding, and I think we all got to be aware of that. Yeah, basketball is an industry. And, and, you know, you mentioned community. You know, at the heart of it, there is that sense of community, but it is an industry. I think, you know, in my mind, and I think, you know, for most of us like-minded people, we just want to curve the the exploitation that's involved. You know, we want to oh, yeah. minimize that, and you know, as long as kids are having opportunities to succeed and you know get theirs and have a way they want to do it and and really get paid along the way, you know, uh, in in an equitable fashion, I'm 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 good with whatever. You know, so uh definitely I agree with you on on all that, man. But yeah. It, it, yeah, change is happening. Like and, uh, I think, like you said, uh, 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 in our coming of age, we probably saw pretty much saw the proliferation of the AAU scene and all that. And you know, now it's just evolving into something else. And uh, you know, it, you know, we it'll, and they'll keep on evolving, and uh, we'll see how it goes. But you know, like I say, long as long as kids are getting the opportunities, and we're seeing people perform at the highest level that they can. Like I said, I'm good with
2: it. It's funny you bring that up because I just was listening to a Knuckleheads podcast episode with Kenya Martin. He was talking about his journey coming up from Dallas, going to Cincinnati and then to the New Jersey Nets in the NBA where he became Mm -hmm. an all-star. He was talking about how he didn't know anything about AAU until he went to ABCD camp and pulled up on Kobe and them. He said, didn't even know who Kobe was until Kobe had a bunch of cameras following him around on the campus where the ABCD camp was. And he was talking about how he went to ABCD on a Greyhound bus with Sonny Vaccaro, Um had paid for his flight back home after finding out about it. He said, I had to basically play my way back into a flight ticket, me and my friend who was in a, on a Greyhound bus. And then at that, on that same journey, I learned about AAU and I started playing on an AAU team around my area. As long you know, but they, when they was transport me, he said, but I didn't find out about this till like two years in high school.
0: Mm.
3: You know, what's crazy about uh, Kenyon Martin is his journey to the NBA. Now he's got a kid, Kenyon Martin Jr. Mm-hmm. He, oh, yeah. Like could not be that. That's it's the most opposite yep. entry into the league I've ever seen. Um Kenyon, obviously came up how he came up you mentioned gay uh going you know being in being in dallas and 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 then going to cincinnati uh for four years he's the last four years senior to be the number one pick in, that, yeah. draft in 2000. Kenya mm-hmm. martin jr he went to i think uh i want to say one of these one of these schools in uh southern california you went to Sierra um, king yeah. Oh, I like, did. Oh, okay. he,
0: yeah.
3: yeah. He went to CRK eventually, but he started right. he started at yeah, 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 he started at Shamanade. and then instead of going to college, he does that fifth year prep year at IMG yeah. down there in Florida.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay?
3: And he is drafted from there, but not the number 1 pick like his dad. 20 years later, one of the last picks in the draft mm. by the Houston Rockets, and, you know. Yeah. And obviously Kenyon got bounced. Both Kings got bounced, but the balance is different. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, Ty Tyloo is Tyloo is kind of making uh fun of Kmart Sr. a little bit, saying, you know, Junior can shoot the ball uh in a way that Kmart, uh the original <laughs> Kmart couldn't <laughs> quite. Um and you know what? I saw Kmart Jr. He played at the Drew too. He he mm-hmm. and who 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 was he running with? Brandon Jennings, tough crowd. Sharif O'Neal was on that team um i was you know i was watching those actually that's who Giannis came to see because Giannis played with brandon in milwaukee yeah connection man like and again Giannis ain't come up in greece with the Drew league bro <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah you gonna see some things in that disney flick i ain't seen it yet but you know i probably might someday you ain't gonna see the Drew league so Giannis again Giannis enjoyed that um for sure that brandon jennings by the way um I wish he never tore his damn Achilles because they were calling that dude Black Jesus before. Oh, man. It, <laughs> My first summer time. covering. Yeah, yeah. First
0: time was I, I, I was, I was, I was in Wisconsin. I was in Wisconsin uh, working uh, up there when when he first got on with the Bucks and now they yeah, yeah. yeah. I remember that 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 game. I what was it was a third game when he scored fifty Against on on Golden State. Yeah. Yeah. I
3: think it's seventh. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, it was, yeah, it was
0: real, yeah. real, real, yeah, yeah. But it, yeah, that was they. You would have swore, that, like, say he that he was uh, Jesus of of North uh, Milwaukee at that point. Like <laughs> he was, he was going to change things. But you know, he 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 had his he, he shined bright for a second. But you know, it, it, what what is what is he really up to at this point? I mean, shoot, Brandon Jennings is
3: is hella connected. So even though he's not an NBA player anymore. Um, you know, Brandon in a lot of conversations, a lot of SoCal, you know, LA hoopers are, um, you know, I mean, my guy Black Trey uh, was, he actually, uh, I think Black Trey first came to fame because of his connection with Brandon. And now probably people probably follow Black Trey, um, like, because of what Black Trey gets to do. Um, my, my guy Trey Vaughn Edwards is, is, is dope. Um, but, I mentioned tough crowd. That's Brandon Jennings brand. So like, he's got uh, the clothing brand and everything. Um, he, you know, Brandon is active. Let's just put it that way.
0: That's what's up. Man. There's a lot of ways to get it, get it nowadays, you know, business, all type of business adventures and, you know, investments. And like you say, acting, people acting now and, and putting out podcasts and why they playing and everything. So, you know, we, we got competition too, I guess, but <laughs> but it's all good though, you know. It's it's that's just a game. It's a, a lot out here for everybody. And uh man, you know, uh you know, Law man, I I really I, I typically don't let the show run this long, man, but I I enjoyed talking to you, man, and having you on, man. You were great, uh as great as I could imagine. And and definitely, man, we wanna have you back uh as you know, soon as possible, man.
3: Hey, I appreciate it, Kyle. Like I said, uh, you know, it's it's always good to, you know, have a conversation about this game. Like uh we 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 privilege in a lot of ways to get to enjoy this and um you know spread that good vibe uh as much as we can while we
0: got while we
3: got the time to enjoy ourselves, right?
0: Yeah, definitely, man. And and that's hope hopefully we'll see a lot see a lot of cool stuff this summer. Uh, you know, you out there in LA and you know, here in here in Chicago, we're gonna be on the lookout for a lot of stuff too. But uh, you know, uh again, you know, like I said, your your work is on the athletic, but you know, let people know uh exactly how to follow you and follow uh your work and everything.
3: Yeah, as as always, shout out to the athletic for putting me on and uh I'm at Law Murray the New on most social media. Uh not that TikTok joint yet, I need another year. Uh but mm-hmm.
0: Twitter, 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 IG. Uh, I'm on there. Definitely, definitely gave, uh, of course, you know, rocks with us every week on here, you know, and, uh, definitely follow gave, you know, for continuous, uh, you know, talk and, and analyzation of the game, and, uh, you know, uh, and, and, all, and all sorts of other things as well. You know, we, you know, I, you, I know you could talk about the Sox too. Sox actually got a, uh, they they playing they playing a sorry team again so they got a couple wins. I had hit. the game on in the background a little yeah. bit. Yeah,
2: watching a little bit. I see they won five to one. Yeah, I mean yeah. So
0: the offense is picking up a little bit, but you know we it's, it's I, I'm still worried about some things with the Southsiders, but you know we we keeping on. But uh, you know Steve uh I don't know what's up with Steve's connection, but definitely keep up with uh stay true. S.3 there as you see in the bottom corner. He's though doing all sorts of writing. He's been covering um, you know, cover basketball from all angles, covering the finals, covers the uh the uh the Chicago, covers WNBA as a whole, but uh Chicago Sky here in Chicago. We're gonna give get back to them uh probably on, on next week's show, uh talk some sky and everything uh with him and Chris. Hopefully we get Chris back on. But uh, yeah. But uh, yeah. We just doing it, man. Keeping on through the finals. Uh, I guess with our next show, we'll uh, we'll be wrapping up the final series. Uh, and uh, we'll you know, like I say, have our have our takes on how that how that played out, and you know, who's our who'll be our new champion in the league, and then definitely we'll get into uh some draft stuff too. You know. Uh Bulls are involved in there with the 18th pick, but also a lot of intrigue and everything still to be had in the first round in the in the lottery and all that. So we're gonna uh, get back into that uh next week as well. But uh in the meantime, follow war media. Uh we get that back up. Uh you know, follow us on anchor.fm, our podcast version of this broadcast. You will get that soon on anchor.fm. Uh, of course with uh, YouTube, you can always be in touch with when we go live. You'll get you'll get the live notifications and all that. So uh, you know, follow us on YouTube, follow us on our social media, uh, Twitter, uh, IG, and Facebook. And uh, yeah, just keep rocking with us, keep supporting us, support people who mess with us like Law Murray. And uh, in the meantime, you know, stay cool out there. It was like a, a it was a do the right thing type day here in Chicago today. Mm-hmm. So uh it's gonna be the same tomorrow. Uh you know, stay cool out there and uh in the meantime, keep bouncing. We'll holler y'all next week.